principle is we don't know the best process for other people. We don't pretend to be experts in hospitality or retail or process manufacturing or discrete manufacturing. We're not the experts in those areas. So what we can do is create something that allows customers to describe their own processes and let them go from there. Many people appreciate how frontline workers from nurses to grocery store employees continue to perform essential services even through tough times. Frontline workers work hard for all of our benefit and can also use some help to stay safe. James Simpson, the CTO of Safety Culture, shares how his company's platform helps organizations create safety processes tailored to their specific needs. Enjoy this episode. James, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. You know, we ask this of all of our guests right out the gate. What is safety culture and what does it do? Safety culture is a platform that helps make workplaces better. It helps by providing frontline workers with the ability to better assess and respond to issues. Sometimes these could be safety issues, sometimes they're compliance, sometimes it's quality. A lot of the time, it's just about the execution of proprietary processes that that business has developed. In the end, uh, it helps frontline workers identify issues in the workplace and respond to them better. So when I check out the website, I am familiar with in-cam or in-dash analytic tools that are helping the trucking industry. We've had a couple of those guests on our show before where they talk about, hey, you know, prior to these systems existing, if there was an accident, it was the trucker's word versus the civilian's word. Prior to this, there was no way to really train somebody who's in the cab because the leadership couldn't really see what the person was doing. And your company sounds like you're doing something similar for frontline workers. It sounds like in manufacturing and shipping, or I guess wherever there's physical labor involved, is that an accurate description of what safety culture is doing? It is. It certainly, um, certainly encompasses all of those that you've just mentioned. The heritage of the company started with what you might think of as a checklisting application. So it allowed customers to create their own custom checklists and then just manage the completion of those and analyze the data that came back from those. And as you might guess from the name, the heritage is also in, in the safety realm. So going through a work site, and just checking, you know, is this thing okay? Is that thing okay? Are we following the rules on this thing? Are we following the rules on that thing? Just making sure it was a uh, safe and tidy worksite. Obviously, it's expanded enormously from that. And moving on from checklists, we now do things like managing the issues that crop up in the worksite, the types of actions that people need to respond to, reporting and analytics, things of that nature. Give us an idea of how this works, because it sounds like there's a hardware component as well as a software component. Obviously, you need some level of hardware if you're saying you're able to you know, see what a frontline worker is up to or checking for whether or not they're performing compliance. If I take a look at, for example, off of your products, you have like, I guess, iAuditor is the main product. You also have sensors and training. So sensors tells me there's a hardware component of some sort. Give us an idea of how this works. Okay, well, there are scenarios where it is hardware and there are scenarios where there's just software. We'll take a a simple software scenario. If you have a work site, um, maybe you're building something significant and you need to do a safety check of that work site daily, you usually have someone with that role in the team to scout the site in the morning and they will go through and they'll just work off an iPad or an iPhone or something similar and they'll just go through what looks, feels like a questionnaire, although it's got a lot more intelligence and smart in it, a questionnaire that they've developed to you know, apply their, their safety and quality rules. 
everything might be fine, but you might come across somewhere on the site where there's some rebar or reinforcing steel coming up out of the concrete and it doesn't have the safety caps put on it. So I, I don't know if the laws are the same uh, in the US, but in Australia where you have rebar sticking out of concrete, you have to put a yellow safety cap on top. Otherwise, it's because it's, it's a danger. Mm-hmm. As the inspector for that, you might take a note that, okay, there's a, a violation there. And once completed, that inspection then is, you know, goes into effectively a large audit trail and can be responded to. And if you see the same issues coming up time and time again, then maybe you have some work to do in training or communication or something like that. So that, that would be a purely software-driven scenario. But there are hardware scenarios where sensors come into play. You might be a restaurant with several hundred thousand dollars worth of product in a cool room or a cold room. And the regulations are you're not allowed to jump much above, I think, 30, in your, your currency, it'd be like 38 to 40 degrees. Yeah, you can't go higher than that. So you have temperature sensors in there. And when the temperature jumps up above that for more than you know, a few seconds, it sends an alert. So the right people know that the hundred thousands of dollars of stock is at risk. Mm. You know, once it's exposed to those warmer temperatures, you, know, you can no longer use it or sell it. So it protects businesses that way. It's similar um, in the sense that it's about understanding what's going well and what's not going well is the common question that, you know, those two scenarios throw up. So, you know, when I think of all the things that are extremely popular or groundbreaking technologies, they always sound easier to use than they really, than the back end that is required to make this sum true. You know, when I think of, for example, Uber, right? Everyone knows of it as, oh, I push a button and the car shows up. Now we know the back end of Uber is a massive technology ecosystem. Your company seems in the same boat. It sounds like you're making huge moves and helping companies in a big way. And it sounds like the experience on their side is as simple as possible, right? You said it's born from checklists. Give us an idea of where technology makes this more impressive or makes it so useful because there's so many companies that are currently using safety culture. To our audience out there, they go, they're just making checklists. Like, this sounds unbelievable. How can a checklist be so valuable? (laughs) Give us an idea of what the tool can actually, like, you know, whether it's through stories or examples, we'd love to hear, like, give us an idea of how this tool is really helping these companies. And, you know, you make it sound so easy, but I know that, you know, I know it's not. Yeah, sure. (laughs) It's designed to be that way, right? Like, hey, we're going to develop all the technology on the backside. So all you have to do is check through your list. (laughs) Yeah. No, look, you're absolutely right. A key principle that we've followed is, to make it highly configurable so that we don't actually specify what the customer's process needs to be. We allow them to design the process. We allow them to determine what are the right questions to ask and in what order to ask them. I'll use the, an example from one of our largest uh, supermarket chains uh, here in Australia um, called Coles. With that sort of a business, you need to walk around the shop every morning and check that everything's okay. Make sure that there's no water on the floor, make sure that the stock and the produce, everything's in the right place and looks appealing. They introduced a would I buy it check. So basically having the store manager walk around and look at the product and decide, would I buy that or not? And Hmm. they created for themselves a very short, but very effective. You can think of it as a checklist, but it's actually quite a bit more than that. But it's a checklist in essence that allowed them to walk the store very quickly in the morning and make a judgment on whether things are up to scratch or not. And we really didn't anticipate that use at all. And because it was short and easy to do, they can run that check not only every day of the week, but they could run it multiple times in a day and they can keep all of that information. So they have the ability with analytics to go back and look at 
the correlation between stores that are doing really well, how well they pass these sorts of checks and the performance all round of the store. So that was a, a usage scenario that we didn't anticipate at all, but has gone on to be used in thousands upon thousands of their stores. And I think that's a common pattern. We, we find customers using the platform in ways that we didn't anticipate. We understand some of the basic series around safety, quality and compliance as the starting issues, but letting customers configure and design their own process is probably the key. Makes sense. Our audience is always very curious about how things work, especially things that they're in industries they're not too familiar with. I'm assuming it's powered by some type of smart engine in the background, right? Where if I, depending on my answer, if I answer this, then the next question will be that. If I answer a question, you know, answer to question one is B, then I might get response to question C or something like that. It's like a very advanced thinking system behind it that helps guide users down the best optimal path, depending on what they're uh, experiencing. Is that in just how it runs? Yeah, you're exactly right. It sounds like you've um, you've used the platform before. So, it's, um, <laughs> and this is why I say it's 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 not so much uh, a checklist, even though that was a heritage. It's more like enshrining a business process in many ways because it has the con- conditional mm. logic that you've just described, and it has you know the ability to take information from other areas. Like you can pull information from those sensors that I made reference to. You can pull that into an inspection. You can link those inspections to actions that you want to take next if you find that. You know, something wasn't quite right and you want to, you know, record that you need to do something about it, you can put that linkage in there. So there's an element of workflow. Yeah. So the, the principle is we don't know the best process for other people. We don't pretend to be experts in hospitality or retail or, you know, process manufacturing or discrete manufacturing. We're not the experts in those areas. So what we can do is create something that allows customers to describe their own processes and let them go from there. Yeah, Absolutely. As we're talking about the product, actually, I'm thinking about some of the jobs I've had when when I was working growing up, uh, especially in you know, the field worker jobs I had. Like I was a, they just called it a stock handler. That's literally the title I had, but I worked at, a, it was called the Marine Corps Exchange, Henderson Hall, for those of you, you might not be familiar with this, but it's especially it's a giant, like a Walmart, you know, a yeah. retail store. Yeah. But I remember being 16, being back of house, I was constantly faced with decisions. There was no decision treeing system for me. So you can guesstimate what a 16-year-old me did. I kind of gravitated towards whatever was easiest. But there was always something probably that I could have done better, you know? For example, we would stack pallets because we had a home and gardeners, garden center. The pallets, I mean, I probably stacked them too high. Like, <laughs> just to be serious, right? I, I stacked them as high as I could because I didn't want to remove them, yeah. right? And the pallet was probably tilting and stuff like that. And I'm just imagining if I had safety culture at that time, circa 1996, that I would see like, hey, you have to break this down. You have to restack them. The point being is the reality of especially operational work is that so much is happening typically. You really don't have time to talk to anybody or ask a manager, what am I supposed to do next? So you can see how things, little things like this start building up and then become a problem. Do you have any stories or anything like that? Like, Give us an idea of how this is impacting people on the floor because when you made this story about like the restaurants and you know, I'd love to, if there's any numbers to share, like, hey, we were able to bring, you know, some clients were incidences rate went down this much, where complaints went down that much. To give us an idea of just how impactful just having a smart solution that's highly portable, highly customized, and always on, this always on concept where I, as a field worker, can just access what I need to make sure things are being done properly. Because in the field, typically, the old way would have been, I see something, I report it, I have to go find my manager, stop whatever I'm doing, if I can find them, usually because field work is quite busy. 
I can see how a lot of things got, I mean, I'm in 1996, I'm telling you a lot of things got slipped a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. So the points you're making about stacking pallets and that, um, you know, when you're a new person in a new environment, you often don't know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. These checklists or what becomes business processes, they're a really effective way of passing on knowledge from people who know what to think or know what to ask and know what to look for. It's a really effective way of training up the next generation in, in a given workplace. And that's pretty important. That's something that we see in many customers. You made a reference there to restaurants, and I think um, there's a Snooze Eatery, which is a a pretty large chain, I believe, in Arizona, California, Colorado, um, those states. Not living there myself, I don't get to frequent it uh, myself, but there's about 44 locations, as I understand it, and they had an interesting goal. They wanted to create a culture, a specific type of culture when it comes to uh, safety, and they used this technology to make it normal and make it a habit for people to ask these questions on a routine basis and to ask these questions of the environment that they're in, the restaurants, obviously, what the customer experiences, but the back of, back of house as well. And that was all uh, a drive to you know, create a culture of safety. And this allows them to reduce workplace incidents, which is important, protect the well-being of both staff and customers, which is important. And it touches on the sensors example that I talked about uh, previously. That's um, a different angle when you start talking about using tools like this to change or create cultures. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. For yourself, when you're building your team to engineer solutions like this, what are you looking for that goes into this? Um, You know, everyone we know is trying to leverage data to make better, more informed decisions for their product. I'm assuming you're doing similar things. Give us an idea of what technologies or what new services you're leaning on to make this a better product for your customers. Sure. I might answer that in two parts. I'll just give a quick summary of the the tech in our environment and then maybe look at some of the initiatives that we've got going on over the next 12, 18 months to try and improve how we use this technology. So our environment, in in many ways, it's, it's reasonably standard. We're an AWS customer and we have all of our infrastructure and everything we do is inside AWS. And we invest pretty heavily in understanding what can be done in AWS and the relationships with their technical teams uh, is important to us. So we run uh, on the services side at the back end. uh, A lot of what we have is in in Go. That's where we're investing most of our time now. We do have some um, legacy JavaScript. It's increasingly getting moved over to Go and everything we do new is is in Go. In terms of the data storage themselves, we predominantly use Postgres but we still have some Elasticsearch that we use for specialized scenarios. We are moving to sharding pretty quickly. So we're going to be looking at Citus as a technology to help us shard across Postgres. When we move to the uh, front end, we're a React shop and both mobile platforms, of course, both Android and iOS, um, we have a bit of a mixture of everything in there, Kotlin, Swift and Objective-C. We have a bit of a mixture which is more a reflection of the amount of time we've been in market rather than a strategic choice. But yeah, <laughs> but we have teams that are dedicated to rationalizing those platforms and allowing us to put most of the emphasis on UX and on the highly visible and almost tactile pieces for the customer. So that's a quick summary of the tech. Yeah, yeah. Tell us where you're investing in for the future. Okay, so... We've grown rapidly over the last few years uh, in terms of the number of engineers we have. 
And one of the things I worry about is that we're going to slow down. As groups get bigger, things get more complicated and it just takes longer to get things done. So, you know, that's something I worry about a lot. I worry about quality dropping off and there's quality as the customer experiences it, but there's also the quality of the code itself, like the amount of tech that we build up and how quickly we do that. So there's quality in the broadest sense. So we have quite a few initiatives in play this year, and um, I'll just race through them quickly for you. The first one is to focus on technical leadership. We're looking at bringing in a lot more very experienced people, the principal engineers, that sort of level, senior staff engineers. We're also going to grow a large number of those internally. So the end result will be we have a much better ratio of those super senior experienced people to everyone else. That's the first area. The second area that we're focusing on is connecting to customer. So helping engineers have greater empathy for the customers themselves and the problems that they face. And an example, uh, something that we're doing there is we have a, a support team as every organization does. And we have chats, customer chats live all the time. All of our engineers have access to, to that system and they can watch chats in real time. Oh, yeah. And they can drop in. Yeah, they can drop in and they can watch um, exactly what customers are saying and asking. We find that that recalibrates their sense of what's important and what's prioritized. And we've had numerous examples now where the customers come in and say, well, this thing's really frustrating me. And a team's been able to go, you know what, we could probably fix that this afternoon. And they do that. They do exactly that. That's killer. Yeah. And, you know, it, it wouldn't happen if they didn't have that connection there to customers. So that's the first thing. There's also things like we go visit customers on site. Obviously, not so much in the last 18 months um, with the pandemic. But before that, and, you know, we're starting starting up those again, but going to spend some time with customers on site. And I guess it, it's developing the, the first-hand relationships to help really get to the heart of what the, the challenges are that they, they're facing. So that's connecting to customer. Second thing was we're looking at what we can do to increase our velocity, but at the same time do that with quality. So I think there are some things you can do to increase velocity pretty straightforward, and I think there are some things you can do to improve quality pretty straightforward. It's hard to do both at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't accept that it's a, a direct trade-off. I don't think it's always got to be one or the other. I, I, think you, I think you have to try for both simultaneously, and I think you can find some things that um, will give you both. And I think um, you know an example would be if you get your quality piece right, you can reduce the amount of bugs and customer problem reports that come through. So you're not diverting energy into servicing those. You know, that's just one small example um, that, that you can do. The fourth thing that we're looking at is scaling securely. So we're increasing. The, the amount of customer activity on our platform is it's growing rapidly, very rapidly. And we're finding that some of the systems that we you know, have built when we were a much smaller company they need a little bit of help to keep up with that growth. Yeah. So we have a initiative in place to try and bring some some of the principles for you know large scale computing into what we do. So an example of this would be I made reference to Citus and data sharding a little bit earlier. That will allow us to scale horizontally. It'll give us a bit more resilience as well. There's steps like this that you can take to improve scalability, and we're bundling with that the, the need to increase an in investment in security. I think everyone feels this, that year on year, the threats become larger, uh, more significant, uh, more scary. <laughs> we need to invest in all facets of security and that's, um, that starts down at the, you know, each line of code 
and goes right up to systems that surround the infrastructure. So that's the fourth thing we're doing. So that's, um, and I'll just cap off the last one we're, we're investing, we've got a team looking at is improving the productivity of engineers themselves. Like, so engineering productivity as a topic. So this team actually looks at engineering as its customer and has a good look at everything we do and how we do it and looks for ways to improve that, looks for ways to streamline things, looks for ways to just make a, a developer's day a little bit easier and have a little bit less friction. And not only is that good for the velocity component that I talked about, it's actually quite satisfying. It's, it's, it's good for engineers because nobody likes working in an environment that just keeps putting hurdles up and make everything hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a summary of all the initiatives that were, or some of the initiatives that we're, we're focusing on for the next 12 months. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, I'm just personally curious about listening to that is, you know, you mentioned, of course, the leadership, people investing in engineers as your own customer to move faster, better quality. Those are all super admirable things. A lot of great companies are attempting to do similar things. I'm curious for you, we assume that you're operating in a different climate. Is safety culture currently hiring around the world? Are you hiring mostly Australian devs and engineers? The reason why I ask is because every company right now is, of course, in an absolute battle for technical talent. Uh, that is true across, yeah. as far as I know, every country. There's no country that's like, oh, I got a surplus. <laughs> I got too many. <laughs> there's, there's not a country out there. Yeah, and look, if there is, I'd like to know about it. Yeah. And if there is, James is going to put his job opening yeah. right there. He's like, hey. Yeah, for sure. This is a problem that every company is right now facing, right? Because every company is moving to some technical component. We've had tech leaders on this show from every type, you know, just like right now, for example, I'm talking into a microphone, you, you know, every a microphone company is also now just a tech company. It's going to have a software layer. It's going to have a customer portal. It's going to have all kinds of things. So we know that tech talent is in demand everywhere. How are you addressing the recruiting to fill these roles? Because these are super admirable, great goals. Love it. You know, one of the big challenges all of our tech guests have on this show is that they just can't seem to recruit fast enough. Give us an idea of what you're doing at Safety Culture to try to recruit the talent into to your organization. Yeah, we're like all of the organizations you're referring to, but um, getting, getting the best people uh, and keeping the best people is, is tough. Yeah. I guess the first thing is that people jump to is uh, remuneration pay. And um, I guess our philosophy is, you know, we want people to be paid fairly and to be paid well, and we want them to be happy with that. But that very quickly fades into the background as a factor um, when it comes to recruiting and attracting people. It's, it's almost, um, it's, I don't want to trivialize it, but it's rarely the deciding factor. So the steps that we take is to try and create an environment where people really enjoy what they do and are really engaged in what they do and that they can grow and that they can develop. And they know that a few years spent as an engineer in our environment, they're going to come out of it better. They're going to be a better engineer for it. So we've put a lot of effort into making it a good environment that people want to be part of. And certainly in our, you know, our ecosystem here in Australia, there was a time when we had to go out hunting for the best people. And we still do that. But we now have a lot of people expressing interest in us and approaching us and saying, look, you know, everyone I meet in your environment seems pretty switched on and engaged and really happy to be there. There's something going on there. So focusing on the quality of environment and the quality of career progression and those sorts of things is where we turn most of our attention. People don't always think of it as a recruiting step, but I think it is. <laughs> I think it, it, oh, yeah. it, it actually makes a huge difference. Yeah. I think that's the best place to start because it, it looks after the people you already have. 
makes things as satisfying and rewarding for them as you can get it. And people hear about that word of mouth. People hear about it and people are drawn to you. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, James, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing the story of safety culture. It is the first company of its kind that we've had on this show. The industry you work in, the purpose of the technology, that's pretty exciting to hear. And I want to say thank you for sharing some of the stories. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. James, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Oh, dear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When did you first discover your love for technology? Oh. Oh, um, it was reasonably early, but it wasn't computing. It was, uh, I was into gardening and plants and growing things in greenhouses and things like that. So I had a greenhouse when I was a teenager and it was really difficult to make sure every day I was in there watering because I was looking after tropical plants. And I've, I heard about a solenoid valve, which is a thing that I, you can, like a valve that you can put in a water line and you can switch it on and off uh, just by providing an electrical yeah. current. So I rigged up one of those and brought the wires back into my bedroom at the time. And that allowed me to, to, to water the greenhouse just from my desk by um, basically making the contacts on a, on a battery. So it's a very silly and a very small example, but I really loved the fact that you could do something like that. And it sort of grew from there. There you go. When you did that, what were your, were your parents or your guardians, what were they thinking when you ran or running wires from the greenhouse into your bedroom? We're like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, I think they were just happy it didn't start a fire, you know? <laughs> uh, I think that was the, the sense of relief that it didn't all go wrong. Your passion for growing plants, did that ever go away? Are you still a gardener? Yes, I am. And I still have a, still have a hot house out the back here. And um, I have all sorts of carnivorous plants uh, growing there in, in a tropical environment. Yeah, still do. I've got a few orchids, but mostly carnivorous plants. Yeah, still there. Uh, no, why carnivorous plants? I cannot, I do not know. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think I just saw them as a kid and I just thought, wow, that's really cool. And it just never went away. If you have a bunch of carnivorous plants throughout your house, number one, would they survive indoors? And number two, does that reduce the amount of mosquitoes in your house? They would survive indoors if you had enough light of the right type of light. So if you had morning light facing, I guess it would be your south, wouldn't it? It would be your southeast, I think. Um, northeast for us. If you're facing that way, um, yes, they can survive quite well indoors. Um, no, it won't reduce the number of mosquitoes or, or, or bugs like that. They, they don't eat that much, right? They, they, they're not that hungry. They don't have huge appetites. So it's, um, it, they're good to look at and good, you know, good to learn about, but um, they're not going to solve your insect problem. Hey, listen, I'm, I just can't stay in mosquito bites. I'm one of those people that itches egregiously you know yeah. when i get a mosquito bite like it itches me to, to yeah, know man. so if you told me that carnivorous plants would would consume all the mosquitoes i would be <laughs> loading my house up with them but lo and behold you told me that they don't eat they don't eat enough they eat but they just don't eat enough <laughs> yeah that's all it is well james i want to say thank you for joining us today on it visionaries thanks for sharing what you're doing at safety culture we know that technology goes everywhere, but because there aren't or i've not heard of that many companies that are in the field that you're now supporting and helping it seems like it's unaddressed. So I want to say, you know, that's awesome, of course. I think it's a good, it's always a good thing. 
we've learned about these technologies in different industries to make it easier and better to operate across our guests. So it makes total sense that safety culture is doing this for the frontline workers and all types of other industries. Yeah, it is. It, it's, um, it's a fantastic place to be. It's a good time and a good place. We're going to continue delivering what we think is a really great platform. And um, yeah, we intend to do this for many years. There you go. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you.